10-5, he's into the end zone, touchdown Arkansas State. Deflected into the hands of Feltz, Avery for three, hits! Cover is safe, the Red Wolves have walked it off! Welcome to the Second to None Podcast, the A-State Podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Now, here's a couple of guys who know the Red Wolves like no one else. Matt Stoltz and Brad Bobo. And we welcome you once again to yet another edition of the Second to None Podcast presented by Simmons Bank. July is here. Hope everybody had a great July 4th. Mm-hmm. Later in the month, Sunbelt Conference Media Day. You and I will be going down, as we always do, to New Orleans to cover that. The football team will report right after that. And before you know it, well, we're, we're going to have football. For the first time on this podcast, we say... Welcome to the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank in a world where Arkansas State and Little Rock aren't conference mates. That's true. They're out. Little Rock is officially out, but with that, some big news coming in the past week that A-State and Little Rock will continue to play basketball, which I thought was great to see because this is the most played rivalry, at least on the men's side, in program history. They've met 93 times in the past, and what they did was they signed a four-year deal. And it's not typical to see this signed for both the men's and women's Mm -hmm. programs. I can't remember seeing anything quite like this. Usually the men's contracts are independent of the women's, but this is – a agreement for both the men and the women to play for the next four years, once a year, and they'll rotate Jonesboro and Little Rock each season. But uh, I'm glad to to see it continue. My guess is neither administration would let this go by the wayside, even if there were coaches on one side or the other. I don't know that would that didn't care one way or the other. It just makes too much sense from an administrative standpoint. Again, you you know you've got a game on your schedule, a non-conference game on your schedule, already with some built-in heat, which that's not easy to come by. There aren't a lot of non-conference rivalries necessarily out there. So you get one of those, you get an easy trip, no matter who's got to make it, against a school like you. On the men's side, it's especially important because in both schools' cases, you know it rotates you through uh, every other year getting a good competitive home game that'll draw and in men's basketball those are real hard to come by yeah they are and i'm interested to kind of see the way this shakes out in other sports as well who else will continue to play little rock and it makes sense in so many sports and i would expect that you know we see that come to fruition in baseball, Tommy Raffo and Chris Curry have a very good relationship. I would expect that sport to continue to play. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you a little scoop even if I shouldn't. I know it's staying in volleyball. I think if I've heard I think A-State's going to open the season with a, a multi-team event in Jonesboro, and Little Rock's one of them. Well, there you go. See, we're breaking news all the time around here. Another thing we do around here a lot is have some great guests to interview and that is the case once again today we're going to be joined by a-state defensive coordinator rob harley when we come back here on the second to none podcast presented by simmons bank when we play today we win something bigger than ribbons or trophies 
we win our tomorrows. Wherever we play, wherever we fight, wherever we overcome odds, we're winning our way. Simmons Bank is committed to supporting women athletes in the communities we serve and are proud to be an official sponsor of A-State Women's Athletics. Not just for a season, but for a winning future. Seasons are short, but fierce is forever. Simmons Bank, member FDIC. And we welcome you back into the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. We are pleased to be joined in studio now by the assistant head coach and defensive coordinator for A-State football, Rob Harley. How you doing, coach? You guys are living a good life in here. It's air conditioned. You like the digs. <laughs> it's nice. You? I haven't been in a radio studio in like 12 years, 10 years working. Last time I was in a radio studio, I was doing a, a morning radio show on a Friday for a TV show I was doing in Columbus, Ohio. All right. So I, I was going to get to that part eventually. So we might as well talk about it now. So after you graduated from Ohio State, you didn't immediately go into coaching did you you went into broadcasting for a while yeah so that shoot coaching probably was the furthest thing not that it was something that I didn't want to do like knowingly but it was not something that was first and foremost obviously you get done as a former athlete and you want to go into something a lot of times you go into something that's competitive like sales and not that coaching isn't competitive but just in terms of where you're pushed to and a lot of your former teammates are in sales selling medical device or pharmaceuticals or whatever they're doing financial management all those things and didn't really know what I wanted to do and kind of stumbled into did an interview much like this as a as a college athlete and the interviewer was like hey you may have a chance to do this so I actually started like my senior year interning with the local NBC and just hanging out and doing like Mm -hmm. sports stuff and hanging out with their sports anchor and then after ended up getting a job with ABC there locally just covering Ohio State football thought that's what I wanted to do and ended up doing that for seven years and ended up being with ESPN. Uh, at the time, they only had the ESPN and ESPN2. So that ESPN3, that was like all online and mm-hmm. all that stuff. So did a bunch of like regional games, right? So like a South Florida Rutgers game in the Big East back when the Big East was the Big East. And uh, so did that for, like I said, seven years. So you did like color and sidelines. Yep, color sidelines, did sidelines for the Big Ten Network. And then uh, ended up, like I said, the last thing I did was with ESPN covering games. And then I just, I don't know what I know triggered it. <laughs> coaching where the money's at. Yeah, well, shoot. Yeah, exactly <laughs> right. But uh, coaching where the time spent is everything. But I think, you know what? I think that what happened was it just ke- it kept me close to the game. And it just it wasn't enough. You know, looking from the sidelines and from the booth, it just wasn't enough. Like it just to comment on what other people are doing is a very strange thing. I don't if know. I don't know if most people know at that. a high level. Yeah, I don't know if most people know that. You know, it's like you weren't there on Tuesday. You know, to be part of that game mm-hmm. plan and to sit there and have an opinion on it is hard for me. You know, and it was hard for me because you just don't know. It's it's one thing to say, well, this play didn't work because of this. Okay, well, obviously they called it for a reason. You know what I mean? So it's just like, I, and it wasn't like I had like a major moral issue with that. It just wasn't, it stopped being fun because it, it just wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to be in there. I wanted to be in there on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, game planning and being a part of it. So that's ultimately, I don't know what the moment was, but ultimately I just was like, you know what? I want to move on and, and end up going to volunteer coach at the D2 level at Ohio Dominican for two years. My wife now, my girlfriend at the time was like, what are we doing? 
<laughs> and I said, well, there is a plan. I don't know what the plan is, but there is a plan. You're a Chicago kid. Yep. I read a story that said that as a three-year-old, you remember Ohio State winning the Rose Bowl. Yeah, that's, you know, as much as you can remember that. I mean, there's I was there, and there's a, there's a picture of me there at ni- in 1985. It's something that I've always wanted. To, I've always, I know this. I know my dad used to take me to high school football there in Chicago. And he always tells a story of like when I'm three, four, five years old, just saying, hey, I'm going to, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do when I'm older. And I'm going to play on that field, which ended up being the high school field that I went to. So it's just all I've ever wanted to do. Football is, my dad made me wait till I was, what, 10 to do it. All I ever wanted to do was play. <laughs> so, and then finally, when I was 10, I quit every other sport I was in. And I, that, that was it. I was like, and I loved every sport. You play basketball, you, all the stuff you play when you're little. Sure. And then boom, I still played basketball in high school and ran track. But, but that's all I ever wanted to do. So football's in our veins, and everyone always asks, like, oh, what are your sons going to do? I'm like, shoot, they have every reason to play football, and they have every reason not to because <laughs> it's the same sport that takes me away from them so much. you know. And so it'll be interesting to see what they want to do. You get it honestly, though. You come from a football family, and you have a very famous name in your family. Tell everyone who Chick Harley is. Yeah, so Chick Harley is the first – all-American, first three-time All-American in Ohio State back in, shoot, 1915, 16, 17, and 19. And so, like, growing up, that's my grandpa's uncle. So that's like, he knows that guy. So it's, it's you're hearing stories about that. It's hard not to, you know, everyone's like Chicago, and obviously it's a Big Ten country and all that. And so you grow up, and that's all you hear about. And so that's the only place you ever want to go. And, you know, I think it's it's cool to, to have a link to that, and it's cool to have a link to college football. Not so much. I don't look at it, and obviously, I cherish the time that I I was a a college athlete. But I just I love college football. I love it. I love it more than most things in life, and I've loved it for a long, long time. And it's just kind of cool to have a link to the past of just college football in general. Now, now Chick Harley was so popular that they actually expanded. Ohio Stadium into what is now the Horseshoe, correct? Yeah, so in 19, at that time, in 1919, they were just playing in at Ohio Field, which is just out there, which is on the main drag of High Street off of 17th. Now, it's just, there's a like a rock there that commemorates, and I think they put some other stuff up that where Ohio Field was, so you're talking about getting like 20, 30, 40,000 people in what amounts to like a high school, one high school grandstand. Right when they started to be really good, obviously the first team to beat Michigan, and at that time Michigan, right, Michigan and the Ivy Leagues were like what it was, and uh, so they ended up right. That kind of was the catalyst to build and to raise the money to build the stadium. So it's it's you hear about like I said, you hear about that from yeah. three years old till you can remember anything, and all you want to do is play college football. When he went to a game later in his life, the band spelled. Chick instead of script Ohio. Yeah, and I, I think that's the one of th- well, I want to say one of three to four times I think they've that they've changed it right. I think they spelled Woody one time, and they spelled Chick, and I think they may have. I, I I don't know who the other one was, but I think there was one other one. Well, they still got to dot the I. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> all you got to do is open the O's, and that's what everyone always th- you know that's what everyone always talks about that it's that, that all you got to do is open the O's and it spells Chick. So he was destined to go there and. And all that, but he was born in Chicago and then ended up going to high school in Columbus. I'm, I'm pushing it right now. 
September, they're spelling Rob. <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> hey, I just want to get lined up. You know, I want to get lined up on D and have a great game. So it'll be uh, it'll be fun. That'll be my first game back in that stadium. And we'll shoot when the ball kicked. It's going to be all about playing great D. Yeah, it's got to be a fun experience, though, and something you and your family are looking forward to, going to Columbus that second week of the season to play Ohio State because – that's where you played, and you obviously have this great tie with your great-great-uncle, but you grew up dreaming of playing for Ohio State, right? And you walked on there? Yeah, yeah. So it's, again, it, we, I played him twice since, since I've been gone, so when, when I was at Michigan State. So that won't be you know, strange. I think it'll be strange walking in there just because the last time you did it, you were playing in that stadium. But it'll be cool, like I said. But the ball's kicked, man. It's just, that's football now. Now it's on, and, and we got to go play. And, and that's how it's been, you know, whenever, especially even when you play a good friend that's on the other sideline, it's the same way, right? It's always a little, hey, before the game, okay, this is strange. And all of a sudden the ball's kicked, and you forget who the heck mm-hmm. is even over there. And all you want to do is win. So, but it'll be, it'll be a cool experience and just another one to kind of chalk up. What injury did you suffer to kind of slowed your recruiting down? Yeah, well, I uh, my really in the summer going into my senior year, it's I had a, had a really bad ankle injury. I never really could get over. I had a really good junior year, and, and then senior year kind of was just like blah, and never really came got over it, and and then hit my stride later on in my career in, in college. So uh, my third year of college and then got hurt again and blew my knee out and tore my ACL my third year against Penn State. So it's like right when you're like getting going and doing all these things, that's, that's kind of been my past. So I've, those are things that I talk to our current players about, you know, and everywhere I'm coaching, it's like, shoot, there's probably something that a lot of us, not just me, but most of us former players have been through. Yeah, especially in college, right? Everyone always thinks they're the first ones to go through it. They're the first college athlete ever to play football or any sport. And it's like, it hasn't changed that much. Obviously, phones have made things interesting and technology and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, being a college athlete has been the same for a long, long time, right? You know, for us as guys, maybe girl problems or whatever's going on or class issues or obviously depth chart or injuries, all those things. I mean, it's there's a million people that have gone through that. So we have to remind them every once in a while. For me, it was 20 years ago, which I turned 40 this year. So um, the players look at me like, they're like, holy hell, coach, what's going on? <laughs> I'm like, guys, I'm not that old. I feel like I'm 21 in my mind. Yep. I don't know if you guys are the same. Well, we yep. have days where we feel like that. I, I don't know if it's all the time anymore. But uh, you you get there, and and uh, early on in your career there, were you a freshman when you won the national championship? It was that 2002 team. Yeah, redshirt freshman. Okay. Yeah, redshirt freshman and uh, – Maurice Claret was on that team. I know AJ Hawk was on that team, right? Yeah, yeah, a lot of a lot of really good players. I think you know we end up having obviously on the 2002 team. Obviously the the future Heisman winner and Troy Smith shoot probably nine to ten first rounders. You know, so some really good players. And shoot, I was fortunate that year to be on special teams and shoot trying to block all those guys that Miami had. They had like seven first rounders on that team that we played in the in the and they're like running down on kickoff and I'm trying to backpedal and block those guys <laughs> as a as a nineteen year old redshirt freshman going, Holy heck, this is college football. But yeah, so we we had a we had a heck of a run there as as players and played with such some really great players. I think that has a a lot to do with I think playing for good coaches. Right, whatever you deem as good coaches, right? I guess that's be my opinion. But playing for some really good coaches and playing with some really good players, I think that has a lot to do with your subconscious wanting to coach. You know, I think you want to model yourself after those people, and and 
you know, Jim Tressel and Mark D'Antonio and those types of guys. And not to leave anybody else out, obviously there's some really good coach. I mean, you talk about Luke Fickle was there. You talk about Mel Tucker being our DB coach. You talk about wow. Paul Haynes being our DB coach later on in my career. And Daryl Hazel who went on from Kent State to Purdue head coach. And all these names that were there with us. And then Bill Conley, who just got a job, I guess the major league football league that's starting. Bill Conley, who re- recruited me and ended up was the head coach at Howe Dominican that I was able to volunteer for. He just took a one of those semi-pro major league football jobs. He's got a head coaching job there. So, you know, you got Bill Conley and all these guys that have raised you in the in the football world. It's like you want to emulate those guys. And I think that has a big, again, I think more subconsciously than anything, but those guys... I'd be crazy to think that those guys did not have an impact on me. Again, you graduate in 2006 and then go into broadcasting for a while. You mentioned you went to Ohio Dominican 2010 and 2011. When you're out there volunteering and coaching for the first time, did did it just feel right? Did you feel at that point like you were doing what you were supposed to be doing? Yeah, so when you get into it, so I go, I go and meet at that time and I guess it would have been his last year. Obviously, we didn't know that yet, but um, Jim Trestle is at Ohio State, and I call him and call Mark D'Antonio, who's at Michigan State, and I say, hey, listen, this is what I'm thinking of doing. Like, give me some advice. Like, I got no idea where to start, right? And so we have this plan that I'm going to go and volunteer at a high school, right? Because then I could still kind of keep my jobs and, and do those things, and sure. I'm going to volunteer at a high school. And I do that. I go and meet. I go to the facility. I go meet with Coach Trestle, and we're walking out. And Bill Conley, who had retired when I was a player in 2004 and went on to do some ESPN stuff for recruiting, he just had taken the job and he's walking in to the facility. And it's like, oh, you know, we're all like saying, hey, whatever. And and we haven't seen him for a couple of years. And Coach Trussell's like, hey, Rob wants to go coach. Now, if you that's technically wrong, because if I'm in Columbus, no one calls me Rob. Everyone calls me Chick. But so he said, hey, Chick wants to coach. And, and he's like, well, shoot, I just took this job. He's like, you can come over, coach, whatever you want. I can't pay you anything. Right. Because D2 and here we go. But we're going to have a bunch of former players over there that, that have played for me. And you can come coach whatever you want. So I go over there. I coach safeties. I coach linebackers. We do special teams. I do the laundry. It's a it's a turf field. So we didn't have to mow the grass or line the field. But, you know, we're doing everything. We're helping in strength and conditioning and, and all those things. And we just had a blast. It's still to this day one of the most rewarding coaching jobs ever just because you are involved in so much. And you hear a lot of coaches talk about that. The lower levels, you just don't have the the same support. Yeah. So right, and you're doing, and you're wearing a lot of different hats, and it's just, it was really, uh, we had a lot of fun, right? And not, not a, I didn't have any kids, so I didn't have, you know, and me and my my wife now were dating at the time, so it was like, right, it was just kind of me just doing it and and being over there and and spending all day over there and game planning and doing all these things for the first time, so it's it was a lot of fun. You spent two years at Ohio Dominican, and then you mentioned Mark D'Antonio. So he was there at Ohio State during your run as a player, but at this point, he's the head coach at Michigan State. You go work for him for a couple of years. Yeah, so I tried to get with him. Obviously, I called him when I wanted to get into coaching. You know, again, he gave me his pointers and all those things. So at that point, obviously, he knew my desire to coach. So once I got to Ohio Dominican, every I guess for the two years, every chance I got, whether it was a bye week or, or obviously in December when they're preparing for bowl games, I'd drive up there and just kind of be with those guys. And that's obviously where I end up meeting Pat Narduzzi, who's the D coordinator there, mm-hmm. and all those guys. And Mike Tressel, who 
you know, it was Jim Trestle's nephew and who was our GA when I was a player. So it was kind of very familiar faces up at Michigan State. A lot of the GAs that were GAing and, and quality controlling when I was a player were coaching at Michigan State at the time. And so we'd go up there and I'm, you know, hey, I'd love to GA for you, all those things. And at the time, there's only one GA. Right now, there's there's two on either side of the ball. So there's, so hey, we don't have an opening. We don't have an opening. And, and so I end up every offseason, I would apply to grad schools at all the places that I had people right? at the time. Uh, coach Tim Beckman was at Illinois. He was our corners coach my last se- my senior year. So he's the head coach in Illinois. So I'm applying there. I'm applying to Miami of Ohio because I've got connections there. I'm applying to Wisconsin because one of our GAs was there and he was coaching tight end. So I'm all these places that I'm just trying to get in where I have people that I know I'm applying every year. I'm taking, I'm studying for the GRE to get into grad school, which is like, I'm like, what am I doing? This is five years after I'm done. <laughs> I'm calling, you know, all these things. And, and I, and I apply to Michigan state. I go up there the second year. They're getting ready to play Georgia in the Outback bowl, I believe. And I'm just up there. And while I'm standing at practice, the weight room GA gets a full-time job at, I believe, Army or something, uh, to my knowledge. And so after practice, I didn't even think about it. I'm like, oh, great. You know, like someone was saying, oh, he, you know, just got the job today. And I'm like, oh, cool. So Coach D'Antonio walks up to me and is like, hey, you know, next year it goes to two, you know, four GAs. Do you want a GA in the weight room in the meantime, in the offseason? And it's the fastest way we can just get you in the program. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, all right, well, we got to get you into school. I was like, no, I'm already in. I already applied. I'm already in school. I can start. And literally 48 hours later, I'm taking classes at Michigan State. I've found an apartment and I'm there. <laughs> that, I mean, just <laughs> random. Like it doesn't get more random than that. And obviously, you know, luck favors the prepared, but it's just completely random. And then obviously, so I did that. So I, I was a weight room GA. I always joke with Jeff Jones that, hey, I'm like a weight coach. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> he just laughs. I'm like, no, I'm kidding. But so yeah, I wait, I GA'd uh, in the weight room for Ken Manny at Michigan State for that whole offseason and then moved on the offensive side of the ball. Really? Yeah. GA'd uh, with the running backs. The uh, Le'Veon Bell there during yeah, that time? Yeah. So Le'Veon Bell was there. Obviously, I had a lot to do with uh, yeah, who that he ex- is. That explains it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like to say that. But no, so with the running backs, and it was kind of like I jumped around and then running backs, O-line for a little bit. Which was which was really cool just to kind of hear that and learn that and then jumped with the wideouts during the year of 2012 and then went uh, on defense the very next summer. So I was really only on defense there with Coach Narduzzi and those guys and Harlan Barnett and Mike Tressel and Ron Burton uh, for that one season in 2013 that we ended up having a great a great year and going to the Rose Bowl and forge a relationship there and then all of a sudden you go to FIU and. And then you're back at pitch with Coach Narduzzi, and and so it's 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 always in life in general, but especially coaching, right? So much is relationships, and who you know, and who you learn from. You mentioned, hang on, because this is this going. I I can't get away from this. You're building a fantasy team, and it could be out of dude you played with, dude you coached, dude you coached against, and you can define this how you want to define it. Who's your number one pick? Who you taking first? Oh wow, that's hard. Mm -hmm. It's really hard. One of the most versatile guys I've ever played with is Chris Gamble, right? Wide out DB, sure. end up playing DB for the Panthers. So he'd be up there. I mean, but you got Maurice Claret, one of the toughest dudes to tackle ever, if not the toughest dude to tackle mm-hmm. uh, in terms of playing with. But I'm saying those two, but that's a shoot. You got Nick Mangold, who was a center for us, right? A year younger than me. 
Bobby Carpenter, AJ, both went first round. San Antonio Holmes. You've got a lot to choose from. Yeah. I mean, so it's just kind of what you want. Like I said, the, the defensive guy in me wants to say Chris Gamble for his versatility. But again, you got to go. I think you got to go Maurice Claret. You got to go Maurice Claret. You can give him the, I mean, he might be able to play right now. He came and spoke to us like three years ago, and he still looks really good. <laughs> So you mentioned you go to FIU in 2014, spend the year there, and then the next six seasons, you're in the same place. You go to Pitt, you're the linebackers coach there, and actually built one of the nation's best defenses during your time there, and uh, in 2020, in fact, led the nation in sacks, tackles for a loss, top five in rushing defense. At that point, are you looking for your opportunity to, to take that next step and become a defensive coordinator? I don't know if you're ever looking. I think you just kind of know when you're ready for or you're in in a position to want for a different challenge. And that has nothing to do with where you're at. Again, I don't know if it was a conscious, a major conscious decision to sit there and say, okay, well, this is what I'm going to do. And this is what I want to do. I think the right place and I've prided myself on making good decisions you know, trying to make the best decision possible wherever you're going to go. And you're not just going to go make crazy decisions for a title, a job or, or any of those things. So I, I say all that to say a lot of research, a lot of, a lot of time goes into deciding if now's the time and all those things. And I think it just kind of happened organically, not, Oh, it's year four now. Now I'm ready. You know, you know, now it's year five. And it's just, I just think it's, it's something that you just, you get to and you mature to and, and you're kind of ready to take on a challenge. Uh, and whether that's a personal challenge or obviously now, you know, you, you start with a personal challenge and then obviously you have a new staff and now it's a it's a whole staff challenge for all of us here. And, I, and that's fun to me. And it's never to get comfortable and it's fun to have a new challenge. So, you know, word has it that when Coach Jones is at Alabama and he's doing the things he's doing there helping Coach Saban, he's also basically scouting coaches because he knows he's going to be a head coach again and he's watching guys he wants to get involved with that. So... How did you guys then sort of cross paths in all this? Yeah, it's a lot of it. You know, that's from what I know. I mean, right? Because that's he, he would know the background there. Obviously, you mentioned we were we we had been playing well, and a lot of it is through our agency. We're represented by the same agency, and so I think a lot of it's that in terms of okay, hey, you might want to go look into this. And those last two years, you had mentioned we had played really well on the defensive side of the football, and I think that's where it started. So we then connected, and he and I had no pass together, but um, just in my research of him, and then obviously we get on the phone, and shoot, it was like we knew each other for a long time. And that's probably the most important thing. You know, so you joked earlier, and I think now you about the coaching, money and coaching, and it's like, shoot, my first four years in coaching – I made a total of $20,000, like total for four years. So people see, oh, you know, this obviously 40 is young in the grand scheme of things. But nowadays, shoot, 40 is old in coaching. You got all these head coaches and and coordinators are like 32 years old. But all that stuff is, and it's cliche, but it's about the, it's about the people. I mean, my whole path, my whole history, all the stuff I just said about all the people that I've run into and asked questions to and, and linked to. And those are the, those are the people that have helped me and, this is the first time I've stepped outside of that. And I'm sure Coach Jones is thinking probably the same thing. First time he stepped out, right? And we don't know each other, but we know peripheral people that are vouching, I'm sure, for us. The people is what matters. And, and the head coach 
is critical. I, I say that to everybody that asks me, okay, why Arkansas State and those things. I mean, if you don't have a guy that's done it, in my opinion, that is what was so attractive to it. A guy that's been at a multitude of places, right? From Central Michigan, Cincinnati to Tennessee, and then obviously those as the head coach and then at Alabama, learning all those things. And that is very attractive for the guy that's going to lead the program. And you mentioned, I mean, you wanted it to be the right fit, the right situation for you. Did you know fairly quickly after talking with Coach Jones that that this was the right fit for you? Well, I knew he was what I was looking for. And then obviously you got to go in and shoot it. I think it still took me three to four days just to make sure. Not from him, but just an overall, you know, I'm going to watch and I go watch every game and I go, you know, evaluate every player on defense and mark my notes down all the returners and, and okay, do we, you know, are we going to have a chance to do what we want to do and, you know, all those things and do a deep dive into that and do a deep dive. Obviously, you sit there and you look at the, the facilities and all those things that, you know, it still starts with the people, but you want to do all that peripheral stuff and just make sure you're not missing anything and leaving no stone unturned. So, Obviously, I'm sitting here with you guys, so <laughs> it uh, ended up being the the decision that I thought was a really, really good decision, but it starts with the coach, and it starts with the person leading the whole thing. Well, and look, we know what happened last year on the field, but you talk about going even before you got here and looking at the returners, what you had to work with. There were some glaring needs that needed to be addressed through recruiting and obviously you knew there were going to be some bumps along the road especially early on in last year we kind of and and brad and i've talked about this many times you kind of split the season up into two halves the first six games and the final six games those first six games you'd see stretches and coach jones talked about it throughout the course of the year he said you'd see stretches where there'd be four or five good plays and then you give up the big play and it just seems like the big plays that first half of the season was the most frustrating thing on the defensive side of the ball for you. Yeah, it's shoot. This is a game now of of scoring points and limiting points and limiting explosive gains. I wish you know. There's no. I don't know if you can sit there and say in finite words. You know what exactly? Hey, this is the issue. This was the issue. I just think that there's a big gap between now knowing and now going through it, a big gap between understanding stuff and, and going out there in spring and fall camp and playing against your offense, right? That's installing, but they're not really attacking, mm-hmm. right? Because that's just not how it works, right? Everyone's installing their yeah. own stuff and you're kind of, you know, in some ways you're attacking maybe in a scrimmage and different things, but there's a whole different deal when coming from a completely different system and then going into what what we put in and installed and then going out in a season and having somebody specifically attack you and for our guys to understand that you know and and play to that I think you wish it would have taken three games and not pointing any I just think as a whole and understand oh wow okay these offenses are going to come out and they understand what our system is and how we line up and how we do things and they're going to try these things and they're going to package them different right so one team's going to come out in this formation and do it and the other team's going to come out in a different formation maybe motion but they're going to run the same play to test you, to see if you've gotten it fixed. And I don't know how else to put it, but I think that's that's when you watch it and you go back and watch it. I think our guys got comfortable, happened to be game six and on, on national TV on that Thursday night. And I think the that game gave against some, the Cajuns. Yeah, yeah, I think that gave them some confidence that, okay, we can do this. And, oh, wow, they're attacking us the same way the other five opponents did. 
Yeah, you you hold them under 30 points. You shut out South Alabama for an entire half, which was really good to see. And then you look over the the course of the final few games, you hold four opponents under 30 points. So what was it that, that kind of changed things in that second half of the year? Yeah, I just think it was comfortability. I think it was understanding, okay, this is my job. This is what's going to go down. And, and I, I should expect to see a lot of the same things every week because that's that's how offenses attack whatever it is you, that you do, right? They're going to, like I said, they're going to package them different, but you have to be able to anticipate because we are not out there, right? And and it's, I'm not saying it's the player's fault, right? It's just, that's just the nature of it. Yeah. Getting comfortable with, with what's going on and, and, Obviously, learning what you what you're supposed to do, right? There's all there's two things in in any sport, right? Learning what your job is, and then also understanding how the opponent's going to attack you. That's two very different things, right? And if I'm not confident yeah. in what I'm doing, I can't even begin to focus on how the opponent's going to attack me. So there's two things going on there, and I think Game Six has started to solidify. Yeah, I think a little bit. There'd be some instances of some of the older guys that you could have been their fourth coordinator, which means fourth guy teaching it their way i mean for just some because it's quick to just everybody just jump to and point to and, and blame it on the talent level did you see some kind of some cluttered minds that they'd had to learn a lot of stuff in their time at arkansas state yeah what well, and that's and that's part of it and that's i guess what we're saying too it's part of it you know and it's it's you're dealing with human beings so you don't know and i think Again, there's a there's a huge difference of learning something and going out and executing it when the bullets are flying, right? I mean, no one's saying the bullets aren't flying in, in, in spring and fall, but a completely different during the season. And like you said, a new a new system and learning just exactly the nuances of those things. And we're never going to blame the talent level. That's never going to happen. We're never going to do that. We should be able to line up and be sound. And if we understand our jobs and we coach it the right way, uh, and that starts with me, then we should be able to be competitive. Because the last month plus of the season went the way it went, I'm willing to ask this question with these numbers in it. Because before that point, there hit a stretch. It actually got to the point where the average scoring play hit 40 yards. The average opponent touchdown was 40 yards. You saw back-to-back games where it was a 99-yard touchdown. You're running a defense this level for the first time. Was there ever a point in the midst of all that where, I mean, did your confidence get shaken? Not them, but did your own confidence get shaken? I think you're always looking for a way to get better and teach it better. Maybe there was a time when you sit there and you say, okay, maybe a question, uh, am I, you know, because at the end of the day, my job is to, and our coach's job, right, all of our job, but my job is to make sure that we're, that we're executing it and and right the old adage you you see what you coach on tape and so there is a level of okay taught it at multiple places and maybe I need to tweak it how I'm coaching it right and and so I think you're you're and then all of a sudden game 6 happens you know and you're just like okay we didn't tweak how we're coaching it we stick to our guns you know and 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 it just goes to show you that I think in in life Sometimes you have to tweak things, right? No one's saying that, hey, just stick to my guns and you know go down with the ship. But if you just stick it out for one more minute, one more day, you know, you just keep swinging. You know, who's to say you're not one swing away from breaking the rock? And it didn't ultimately amount to wins. We know that, but on our side of the ball, right, we can just speak to that. We did get better, like you guys are saying, in, in the last six, and and should give us confidence. And I just think we stuck to our guns. We just kept coaching it. The players kept wanting to learn. We just kept going. And one more 
kind of question about on the field last year because you've won everywhere you've gone. And Coach Jones has gone through the same thing. And we saw how emotional he was after the win in Monroe towards the end of the year. And just going through what you guys had to go through, we did see that progress towards the end of the year. And then on the field, we saw a lot of emotion from everyone uh, after that, that win late in the year. Did that kind of serve as a springboard going into the offseason for you? I think it has to. Uh, and I think, again, if you've done something and you've proved you can do it, that has to be – and that's not to say you ignore anything you did poorly, right? we got to know why. Okay, why on you know all those big plays we're talking about, you don't think that those big plays, the same plays, the same exact plays are not in the pile of good? Right, there's those exact same plays are plays that were TFLs, yeah, or sacks, and then those same plays, the exact same plays, and probably numerous times were TFLs or no gains or whatever, or what we call right a win on that play, and then all of a sudden the same plays are like you said, 80 yard touchdown runs. So you've proven we can do it now. Okay, why were those not successful? Okay, let's figure that out. Why those certain plays, those 40 plays, but. We have to look at these and, and have ultimate confidence and not wait for the game and, and all of a sudden we're down 14 and, oh, no, well, I think we can do it now. And so we got to be able to look at those things and, and, and have confidence that you've done it. There's no, more, there's no more motivating. There's no more like you can do it. No, no, we're looking at you doing it. So to me, it's a completely different thing than going into last year. It was, well, we can do this. We never played it. We never played a game playing the system, but mm-hmm. we can do it. Now it's no, you, you've proven you can do it. You look at what has happened since the season ended and you've been on several different coaching staffs, different places. And I am curious to see just how similar it is as far as the recruiting on this staff compared to other places that you've been, because you go 2-10 and ten this past year, and you turn in the number one recruiting class in the Sunbelt Conference. How does that happen, and how does recruiting on this staff compare to other places? Yeah, well, people. Right? We already hit on that. That starts with the head coach, you know, and, and, and Coach Jones, is, is he's relentless. And that is what you have to be anywhere. You know, and, and we're not going to sit here and say, yeah, we understand that group of five and Sunbelt and whatever, that's how we're labeled, you know, among this group. But that doesn't mean you're going to recruit any less. So I would say it's not different than anywhere I've been in terms of just the mindset and what we want to do, who we're going to go after. And, and that's it's it's about the people. And, and yes, this is a they keep score. Right. We play a sport. They keep score. We know that that's what we did last year. But is that who we are? Maybe for one year, but is that who we're going to be? And that's where the belief comes in and that's where, you know, the people come in and that's, and that's what you're, again, showing the things that you talked about on tape. This is who we can be. And you saw that a lot of those, a lot of those kids, a lot of those high school kids believed in when, where we're going. Um, and I know we'll, we'll talk through some of the, the new guys in a bit, but from your standpoint, I mean, one of the, the bright spots, certainly defensively, with both of those ends. You had Kevon Bennett on one side and Joe Azugo on the other. and You knew JoJo was out at graduation, but you could still kind of build around having KB at the end. But then comes a conversation about moving him to linebacker. Obviously, you're 
well-versed in coaching linebackers. So that is a little bit of a move with kind of his football future in mind, but tell us how it can work right now. Yeah, well, I think at all times you're trying to find the best 11, however that works out. And you got to be willing to not just say, well, hey, this is who we are. We're going to pigeonhole everybody, and this is what they obviously have to be able to do it. But I think he's a guy that, again, you back him up off the ball, and he can do both. Uh, you back him up off the ball, and, and now, okay, he can help you in more ways. And good athlete, big dude, big frame, runs well. And so, again, now we're talking coverage. We're talking the blitz game. So it's not just, okay, all he does is rush, right? Or all he does is set an edge, which is great, and you have to have that, right? But he can do more. He can do more. And he's, again, new. It's new for him. But he's taken to it, and the biggest thing is that the investment, right? He's invested in in it. So I think, again, the variety of ways that we can utilize him when he's five yards off the ball gives us a great chance. And you've addressed a lot of needs through recruiting. You brought in some good high school talent, but you've also brought in some transfers that have become leaders right away. And we saw it even back in the spring, and we had Eddie Smith in studio a couple of months ago, and Here's a guy like King Makuta. They have been at the top level. They've been at Alabama. They've seen what happens there. And Eddie even made the comment, we're doing the same thing here that that we did at Alabama. And you see his work ethic. And I remember Jordan Carmouche being in the studio that day as well, the linebacker transfer from Houston. They live in the weight room, and they seem like they're really helping establish the kind of culture that I, I know you and Coach Jones want to build here. Yeah, and again, the, it's it's about investment, and that's ultimately anywhere in, in, in anything you're doing in life. If you're invested in it and you believe in it and you've got some skin in it, it's going to mean something to you, and you've got to have that, and I think – and that's time. There's nothing – it's just time. You mentioned 4D coordinators, right? So imagine – Imagine anybody, it's nobody's fault, but imagine trying to be invested and have a relationship with four different people, you know, and, and that's just life. It takes time to build a relationship. It takes time to build trust and hard to be invested if you don't trust. And I, I think what's unique about some of these guys that are coming in, maybe as, as new guys, is that they're invested in, in trusting and, and wanting to. It's one thing to say, oh, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. And then you just turn your back on it, and it's not what we're going to do. But I've been really pleased with the young guys, those that obviously played for us last year that are still here, and and everybody investing in relationships. Because, again, that's the only thing that's going to make us successful on the field. You mentioned a couple of these guys come from, from Alabama, and obviously Coach Jones' familiarity there. But even if it's not just there but other, if a guy comes in from a winning program and it's a guy you guys have vetted – so it's a guy who was doing it the way they were doing it at a winning program. What's that bring to the table in terms of kind of some self-policing? If you have a player-led team, you have a major chance. If you have a coach-led team, right, it's who knows, flip a coin, right? Because I can't play anymore and you would not want to see that, <laughs> okay, even if I could. I might be able to run on a kickoff and probably pull a hammy about halfway down in the attack zone. But, you know, a player-led team in, in any sport, is is what you're working towards and i think to your point again when people know how it's done whatever it doesn't matter it could be from anywhere we could you could be saying from ohio dominican Mm -hmm. doesn't matter winning's winning and doing it a certain way for certain coaches is experience that you can share 
with others. And like I said, I think not just the players trusting the coaches, but players investing and trusting each other. Oh, Matt Wilson was in here a few weeks ago, and he talked about and told the story that on the players' day off not too long ago, he gets a text, and several of the other coaches did, maybe you did as well, 25, 30 athletes on their day off are in the weight room working out. Yep. Yeah, and that's, again, I mean, doesn't, you know, we also want to tell them, hey, listen, like, when we give you day off, like, it's a day off, right? Like, there's a, <laughs> such a thing as a burnout. But, I mean, right, just the mentality of that, right, is, is again, that's not us demanding that these guys, hey, day off, quote, unquote, wink, yes. wink, get your butt in here. Like, it's not, that's not happening. They used to call those voluntary work or yeah. involuntary workouts. Yeah, yeah. Voluntary. Yeah. Well, shoot, you know, and there's a lot, by the way, there's these guys and student athletes in general work their tails off. I mean, when you think about us, think about when I, 20 years ago, we didn't have, we, you didn't come in early. You just literally came in to fall camp. Like you just started fall camp, which is also hard, by the way, because you were like, what is going on? <laughs> now these guys are coming in in June right in the end of May and they've got all of summer to get acclimated and all those things. Right. But that also is time, time put in time invested Mm -hmm. and it's important and it's big. And, and so again, it's the player led cultures are going to have way more of a chance. And that's what we're, that's what you're seeing a little bit now. I'll let Stoltz wrap it up. This is the last one I got for you because you go back and look, you won a national championship as a player and you went to all these places and you guys won and you won and you won along the way and it, it helps get you you know where you're at in your career. I remember seeing you in the closing seconds or when the horn sounded in Monroe. As you look back on now, do you, do you, did you find that you can take winning for granted? Yeah, you can and you can and you can just take success. Right. Success on what you're doing, what your hands are involved in, whether that be linebacker coach on defense or wherever it is hard. And it it also puts into perspective just how hard it is to have success. And just the margin of error is so small at, at a high level. And that's why we do it. You know, and you mentioned that win and you mentioned playing well on defense. That is right to put it in broader terms. That is the great golf shot, right? I stink at golf, okay? But I hit one good shot, and I'm like, hey, let's, bring go, you back. let's go out tomorrow. And everyone's like, why? You're horrible. Okay, but but that is the golf shot, right? Like that is, for us as coaches, it happens every day. For fans and everybody, it happens on Saturdays, right? Okay, they played a good game here. Here we go. That is every day when you watch a player have success, especially on the field when you're speaking just football success doing something that you've taught and they look at you and they're fired up and they're having production that is the reason you come back the next day the next play the next hour and you know you can you can't take it for granted and and but it is it is why we do it that's a great analogy with with the golf shot i'll ask you this and we'll wrap it up here but how different is it not only going from year one to year two in your time at Arkansas State, but for Rob Hartley, year one to year two, how different do you feel going in second year as a defensive coordinator? It's a lot about being comfortable. And obviously we've hired some new coaches on our side of the ball. And, and you know, you add to that, it's not just, you know, I understand now you never know, you know, in, in any part of our lives when you – taking a new position you always are when you're not in that position you may have 
not opinions, not bad things, not, oh, this person should do this better. Just, okay, you maybe have a, just a certain perspective on, oh, this is what it's probably going to be like. And you're never, you're like, oh, wow, okay. That's what it is now, right? And, and you've got a football piece to it. Now you have managing a staff, our defensive staff to it, and, and, and personalities and, and all those things and making sure we're doing this. And at the same time, obviously, making sure we're doing what we need to do for our boss and Coach Jones and, and all those things. So you just added that on. So I understand now when head coaches are like, man, I just want to get back to football because you're, you're, you're making sure everything, all the puzzle pieces are together. But I think just the comfortability of, of the players and, and knowing, okay, here's what they know. Here's, what, here's the buttons we have to push. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and again, like I said, it's just nothing you can do. Time is the, is the ultimate equalizer of, of, of trying to be great. And, and it takes time. And, and again, I know in college football and in sports, you know, a lot of times time is our enemy. But I think year two, I just feel like I know our staff and I know our, our players. And, and I think that's important. I think they know us. Your wife, your two sons, how do they like Jonesboro? Oh, they're loving it. They're loving it. We were like I told you guys, we were riding the four, the little mini four wheeler. It's not like a big one, but the little mini four wheeler goes like eleven miles an hour. They were riding that thing around, you know. So they they've enjoyed it and they've enjoyed right their new school and and my oldest will be in first grade. Uh, so they've enjoyed all that and they're at that age right now where hey moving was okay. Like they they got that we were moving, but it wasn't a big huge deal right now. But but you know they're they're invested and my wife's invested and in, in our and our staff wives in general have been awesome. Again, like I said, it's really been about the people. Every day that I'm in that I'm in the office or I'm speaking to my wife and she's out with the other wives, it's again, it's affirmation that you know you made a good choice. Well, we're thrilled you're here at A State. This has been fun. You guys I don't ever see you guys. I don't know where you guys hide. <laughs> I don't know if you guys are out playing golf. Right you guys are out playing we golf. Know where you, you, hide. you want that golf shot. Yeah, you you're waiting on that golf that right. shot. No, I'm it's still uh, waiting. We're, we're gonna be waiting a while. You and me both. You and me both. I've broken I've broken more clubs than I have hit good golf shots. So Yeah, I'm pretty close. But it's good to see you guys. Good to see you. That's A-State defensive coordinator and assistant head coach Rob Harley. We've got more to come here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank right after this. Your first home is like this dream. The day you walk in, the sun seems to shine more brightly. The ceilings, they just seem taller. And you'll never fix that creaky floorboard because it sounds like comfort. What a hug would sound like if it made a sound. And that's when you realize your home really, really home. Realize your dream with a home loan from Simmons Bank. Dreams realized. SimmonsBank.com. Member FDIC equal housing lender subject to credit approval. Wrapping things up here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. Just really enjoyed that visit with Rob Harley. Just a fantastic guy to kind of hang out with. And and we got to hear his story because it is quite a story. Yeah, it is one. Uh, you know, those family ties to Ohio State and, you know, getting to go there as a walk-on and end up on scholarship and playing on a national championship team. And and I agree with what he said. You know, come September, when that game gets kicked off, it'll be business as usual. I believe that wholeheartedly, right? But, yeah. But in the lead-up to that and the night before and during the day Saturday up to that, it, it'll be neat for for a Harley to be back in the horseshoe. Yeah, old Chick Harley. I, you know, he mentioned how 
Jim Tressel would call him Chick, but another nickname for him was Chicklet. Chicklet, yeah. He said, well, you know, Tressel was trying to get to him a little bit. He'd call him Chicklet. <laughs> so thanks again to Rob Harley for coming in. Anything else we need to get to before well, we get out of here today? You know, I've gone back and forth on whether to bring this one up or not. Could be the most controversial. No, oh, do it. Let's take let's hear it. We've had yet. But given that this is uh, the week of the fourth and mm-hmm. We fought so hard for the independence for me to say what I want. I'll do it. By the way, on a side note, you and I, I think, talked about this. Uh I I thought it was interesting going back to uh, Queen Elizabeth's Platinum Jubilee celebration, where one of the the, uh, segments in this big musical extravaganza they put on was, uh, it's called 70 Years of Musicals. And Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber and Lin-Manuel Miranda came out together to introduce it. And there were five different musicals that the cast, the London cast, came out and performed a song. Wow. As part of the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. The first one was Hamilton, which is great. It's the biggest deal going. But I was like, isn't this kind of rubbing her nose in it that they took the L to have the cast of Hamilton out singing to the Queen of England? And it was their decision to have the cast of Hamilton sing. I mean, yeah. it's just To me, it was just like I said, it was kind of... Reminding her that, hey, your kin took the L back in the day, and that's what we're singing about here, Your Majesty. I thought it was an odd choice, but that's not what I I was going to talk about. Okay. This is the most controversial take. And I cannot beg you folks enough to listen to the preface to what I'm about to say, because it has 0.0% political leaning in it. I'm begging you to believe me. 0.0% 0.0% political. There's a lot of stuff on social media that'll drive you crazy. Yes, there is. But for me, the thing that tends to drive me the craziest these days, and I've seen it enough times that I've bit my tongue and bit my thumbs, and so now here on the week of the 4th, I've, and I've got this platform. To it finally, has nothing to do with jello shots. Nope. Uh, but I finally will speak my piece on this. Okay. Please stop sharing posts and photos of the gas prices in 2020 like it was a great thing gas was that price in 2020 okay look gas is too much these days right everybody would agree with that yes uh, i think we all agree but do we remember why it got so cheap in 2020 because you couldn't go anywhere (laughs) there were lockdowns and shutdowns and this and that you miss the gas prices that much i wouldn't go back to that for free gas Because you couldn't go anywhere. That's why you could get gas so cheap, because there was nowhere to drive. Please stop sharing those posts. (laughs) But I was just like, people that I know know better. Share that. Like They've forgotten why it was so cheap. It wasn't that long ago. I remember. Yeah, there was a very good reason gas was so cheap. All right, that's it. All right. We appreciate uh, you listening, as always. Thanks again to Coach Rob Harley for swinging by and joining us here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank.